Lord, as these women bowed their faces to the ground, we bow our hearts before you. You are a holy and righteous and amazing God. Lord, you are one whose steadfast love extends to the thousands. You are slow to anger, merciful and gracious. When we come into your presence, Lord, we are reminded of how unlike you we are. We are full of sin and shame, regret. So God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by his shed blood, asking for the forgiveness of our sins, how we have not remembered your resurrection, how we have lived for other gods, how we have done things in our own way, how we have been prideful, how we have been arrogant, how we have not sought to give our lives for the call of the gospel. God, we, we ask you, humbly through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would forgive us of our sins. God, we pray that through Christ and the promise of his word, that you would take our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west, that you would forgive us our trespasses and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we lift up those now who are grieving. We, we pray specifically for Wade um, this morning and his family. God, we thank you so much for uh, his testimony and care for his mom. God, we, we thank you for calling Miss Catherine home into your presence, God, where there is eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore. And God, even though we know where she's at, our hearts are saddened with her loss. So God, I pray that you would be with that family. I pray that you would surround them with your love, with your courage, with your compassion. Father, we pray for all the others in our congregation who are struggling uh, both physically and spiritually. God, we pray, Lord, that you in your kindness and your mercy would speak to them today, remind them, remind them of your goodness. Father, we, we thank you for the city we live in, for Rock Hill. Father, we pray that as pre preachers gather around this city to declare the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would speak through your servants to call men and women to faith in Christ. So God, we pray specifically this morning for Jay Hardwick at North Rock Hill. We pray, Lord, as he announces the word of God, to his people, that you would help him um, speak words of life to that congregation. Call them out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Help them know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Father, now we come to this time where we want to listen to your word. Uh, Father, I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase, that the name of Jesus Christ would be heralded this morning. Father, I pray for those who are here, those who are visiting and those who you have given me to shepherd. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to them. God, we have heard the story of the resurrection so much. God, let us never tire of hearing it. So God, I pray this morning that you would speak in such a way to apply these great and glorious truths to the hearts of your people. Father, I pray for those who, who may come in with hard hearts. God, I pray that you would soften their heart, that they would see the glory and the beauty and the power that is in the resurrection of Christ. Father, we do not want to hear another word from a man. We want to hear a word from God. So I pray, Lord, that you would bind my heart and my mind to let me stick to the text. God, let me take the word and apply it to your people. So God, we humbly ask for you to move through your Holy Spirit. We believe, Lord. We believe, Lord. Help us even in our unbelief. So God, we ask that you make much of yourself this morning through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, in high school, I was recruited by all the 
Ivy League schools except uh, for Harvard University. Eventually, Harvard came calling. Uh, They came to their senses, finally. Uh, But knowing that I did not have the test scores to get into Harvard, I rejected them before they could reject me. (laughs) So I could tell my grandchildren that I turned down Harvard University. Uh, I'm sure that Harvard quickly got over that rejection. Uh, But thousands of high school seniors all across America today and the next couple weeks are dealing with their own rejection. Uh, One high school senior from High Point, North Carolina, Simon Han, uh, made national news uh, when she recently rejected her rejection. She received her rejection letter from Duke University and graciously responded, thank you for your rejection letter of March 26, 2015. After careful consideration, I, I regret to inform you that I am unable to accept your refusal to offer me admission into the fall 2015 freshman class at Duke. This year, I have been fortunate enough to receive rejection letters from the best and brightest universities in the country. Despite Duke's outstanding success in rejecting previous applicants, you simply do not meet my qualifications. Therefore, I will be attending Duke University's 2015 freshman class. I look forward to seeing you then. Well, regrettably, regardless of her finest attempts to reject her rejection, Miss O'Dell will not be attending Duke University the following year. You know, facts sometimes can be hard to accept. The problem is not the information, but in the desire to receive that information. This Easter weekend, the facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will be heralded from pulpits all over the world. Do you realize that right now in churches all across America and all across the world, people are thinking and reflecting about the resurrection of Christ? And the problem is not in the details. The facts are clearly stated in the scriptures. But it's our desire to receive the truth of that resurrection. What that resurrection truly, truly means. So I pray this morning that you will not only examine the facts as clearly seen in the text, but that you would receive them as truth. Miss O'Dell discovered her rejection of her rejection did not change the facts. Truth is truth regardless of whether we want to accept it or not. So I pray now we will examine the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and receive it into our hearts. If you want to follow along with the outline provided for us, just flip to the back of your bulletin. We'll have five points this morning. The first is, I want you to see the respect of the disciples. The respect of the disciples. Before we examine the truth of the resurrection, we have to first establish that a resurrection is needed. You know, there have been many explanations put forward to discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, including several that state that Jesus Christ never really died. The Romans were professionals in execution. It is clearly seen in the the passage we read on Good Friday, Luke 23, 44 to 49, that Jesus Christ really did die and was confirmed in his death by the Roman centurion who stood next to him, by the crowd who, who watched him, by the disciples 
who watch from afar. Luke is very detailed in his description in the respect shown to Jesus in his death. He was not treated like a common criminal, but yet again we see how how Luke is trying to show us that Jesus Christ was innocent, deserving of the highest honor. Look with me again at the text in verse 50 of chapter 23. It says, There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman had, who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb, how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandments. Luke clearly presents the facts. Jesus was dead and buried. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. We get that that little allusion to Isaiah 53 that Jesus Christ would be uh, blessed by a righteous man in his death. See, even the most liberal scholars affirm Joseph of Arimathea as a true historical figure. And he showed tremendous courage by going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. He laid him in a tomb that no one has ever used before. He was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, we cannot fully know if if Joseph was expecting the resurrection. As you see throughout the account, most of Jesus' followers, although he told them that he was going to rise, didn't believe, didn't think that it was going to happen. But we can know very clearly that Joseph of Arimathea, a true historical figure, believed that Jesus Christ was really and truly dead. The physical death of Jesus Christ is essential for the Christian faith. We don't want to just gloss over the facts. He had to literally die for there to be a literal resurrection. One day, we all will literally die. We cannot avoid it. We may try to ignore it. We may not want to think about it. But, beloved, we know it is coming. You can reject the facts, but you cannot change them. If you are here visiting today, I wonder, have you ever considered... What happens after death? Have you ever taken the time to think about what will become of us when we breathe our last? The great man of God, Moses, writes in Psalm 90, he says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is of but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, thinking and realizing that our death will all come changes how we live today. Are you afraid to die? What confidence do you have in your death? What hope do you have for life after death? These are questions that we should not be afraid to ask. But we must 
ask, ask ourselves. Because the reason why Christians all across the world are joyfully celebrating today the resurrection of Christ is because we understand what the resurrection saves us from. The Bible gives the reason why we all will die. We all die because of sin. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men because all sinned. We will all die because we have all sinned. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed for a man to die once and after that come to judgment. Upon death, the Bible says, we are going to be judged. So the question is not whether, but when. When we die, what is our hope in judgment? And beloved, our only hope in judgment is that Jesus Christ literally died and literally rose from the dead. This is why Easter is such a a special part in the life of a Christian. And this is why the world tries to diminish the, the picture of the resurrection and makes it about other things. If we make the Easter story about anything other than the the death, the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are falling into the hands of the evil one. Because this is our only hope. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 21, he says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Our only hope, our only hope is to believe in faith that Jesus died in our place, taking our sin on the cross and transferring to us his righteous life. His death would mean nothing if there was no resurrection. The woman, the women saw the tomb where Jesus was laid. They, as devout followers of the law, as Jews, they rested on the Sabbath according to the law. Before returning the first day of the week, when they arrived, God had messengers waiting to give them a reminder. The second point we see, this reminder of the divine, the reminder of the divine. So if you're going to read this account in the Greek text, the emphasis that Luke places is not on the empty tomb, but on the declaration of the angels who came during, during this account, the two men who spoke to the women. Look at it with me again in, in verse 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. The fact that they took the spices probably assumed that they, they thought Jesus was still going to be in the tomb. They were going to prepare the body. They did not believe that he was going to be alive. So when they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and, they, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, 
And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, now listen to what the men said. This is a voice of God's messengers sharing to God's people what he wanted them to know in the resurrection. Just a side note, one of the reasons why we have to really care about the Bible is because the Bible gives us interpretation of the events. Now, we live in a very visual, digital age, right? And there's a lot of places that want to give you videos and give you ideas, right? But listen, God chose to give us his word. God chose to reveal himself in his word. You know why? So that he can interpret the events for us. There's a lot of people watching uh, the resurrection, but God gives us an account what he wants us to know about the resurrection from his word. We see that what they declared in verse 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you that while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and, and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These women came expecting to see the body of Jesus to anoint him for burial. They came prepared with spices. The whole time you read this, what you see is this this sense of shock and amazement at what, what is happening. And Luke shows his respect by adding the title, Lord Jesus, to this account. The women realized very quickly that why Jesus is the Lord. They had arrived and they noticed the stone is, is rolled away. In, in Mark's account, the women were wondering who was going to roll away the stone because the, implying the size was, was enormous. Luke emphasizes the words of those angels. The women were perplexed and confused why the stone was already removed. When they saw God's messengers appear in dazzling clothes, they fell to the ground, bowing in reverence. That, beloved, is a great picture of how our hearts should be every single Sunday when God's word is spoken. When God speaks through his messenger, it's not the the messenger we're, we're, we're really concerned with. Whether it's me or somebody else that fills this pulpit, it's the, it's the word of God that goes forth. We want to prepare our hearts to receive in reverence the word of God. Even how we, how we vi- picture the sermon, the reason why the word goes forth and everyone listens in silence is because the word of God, God is speaking to God's people to enrich and encourage them. This is why the sermon has stood the test of time. See, God sends his messengers to remind his people about his resurrection. You know, it's not the, the news. It's not new news. The angels make it very clear. Jesus has already told you this was going to happen. He told you that you were going while you were in Galilee, that he must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. See, Jesus is alive. Jesus Christ has been vindicated for his righteousness, for his perfection, as Luke proclaims in chapter 23 and 22. He has conquered the grave. The woman should not have been surprised, for Jesus told them this was about to happen. The key word in the count is the word must in verse 7. You know, Luke uses that word. It's the Greek word day. He uses it all throughout, kind of showing it the divine plan of God that is, is happening. It is necessary. This is necessary for this to happen. See, God planned your salvation. 
God planned my salvation before the foundation of the world. God planned the death of, the, death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection before we were even born. It can only come, salvation can only come through the Son of Man being delivered, crucified, and on the third day, risen. The third day was a symbol throughout the scriptures as the, the day of salvation. The Jews should have expected salvation to come. Just listen to a few verses. God gave Isaac salvation on the third day. Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And God gave the ram in the thicket. God gave Joseph's brother salvation on the third day. Genesis 42, 17 and 18. And he put them all together in custody for three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live. God gave Jonah salvation on the third day. Jonah 1, 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God gave Esther salvation on the third day. On the third day... Esther put on the royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace. And the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, and she won favor in his sight. God promised Israel salvation on the third day. Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. You see what the angels had to do? The angels had to remind the people of God what God had already said in his word. This is what happens week in and week out when you, when you come to God's house and you hear his word. You're being reminded again and again and again so that when life hits you in the face, you do not need to be reminded of God's grace and goodness. Here, they should have expected Jesus Christ to rise because God has always bringing salvation on the third day. Jesus Christ said on the third day he would rise. Why didn't they believe? forgotten. They had forgotten. They should not have been surprised. We, like these women, need a reminder. God has promised us so many great and precious promises, but beloved, we are so prone to forget. This is one of the reasons why God sends you, his messengers, to declare his word week in and week out. See, the world wants to cover our eyes from this salvation. See, if you've noticed what's happening in our culture, I'm not sure if you, you've seen this, but what's happening is more and more entertainment options are arising, more and more things that are happening that you can do outside of a Sunday morning, because the world doesn't want you to remember. The world wants you to focus on other things and not listen and hear the sweet, precious promises of the Word of God week in and week out. And yet God, in his sovereign wisdom, has designed his people to labor among the worlds for six days and come and hear God's word on the seventh. That's what he wants us to do. Even the apostle Peter says, my main ministry is a ministry of reminding. You know, the apostle Peter, the one who, who lived and walked with Christ, this is what he says in his second epistle, verse, chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. 
Since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, and our Lord Jesus made clear to me, I will make every effort that after my departure, you'll be able at any time to recall these things. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Beloved, what are you facing? What are you facing where you need to need to remember that God is in control and he has promised you and me a resurrection. Do not be deceived by our world. Our God is not dead. He is alive. He does not promise a life without suffering. He promises a resurrection. Hear me. God does not promise you a life without suffering. He promises you a resurrection. Our job, our life's ambition is to remember Remember, and remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will sustain us in our hard days. We don't base our lives on cleverly devised myths, but but trust the facts of eyewitnesses who saw Jesus dead and raised. The third thing we see here is the reception of the discredible, the reception of the discredible. Luke makes a specific point to identify the women by name that went to the tomb and then reported the events to the apostles. You know, throughout Luke's gospel, Luke gives honor and respect to women. Now remember, in this society, women were treated as outcasts. They were, they were not even allowed to testify in court. They were not looked at as credible witnesses. In God's sovereign plan, he chose women to be the first witnesses and the first reporters of the greatest event in human history. He's careful, Luke is careful throughout the the Passion account to show these various two witness themes. You know, so we see two witnesses, witnesses of of the the centurion and the crowd, uh, Herod and Pilate, the two angels here, the women, so that we can have certainty of the things that we are being taught. See, Luke is writing facts because no one would use women as witnesses if they wanted anyone to believe in the resurrection. It would not make any sense that this was made up, that this was a devised scheme. No one would have believed women. But the best thing, I'm sorry, but but what God chose in his sovereign wisdom was to have women testify as witnesses. You know, we don't always like the facts, and we are quick to reinterpret history. But Christianity has done more for the treatment of women and their respect than any other religion in the history of the world. In her article, Christianity, the Best Thing That Ever Happened to Women, Sue Borland writes this. And I want you to hear this. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because our culture wants to reinterpret how Christianity has served women. Oftentimes, the church is looked at something that tries to undercut women. That should never be the case. That's not what the church has done. The church has actually lifted women up. Listen to what she writes. The first people Jesus chose to appear after his resurrection were women. Not only that, but he instructed them all to tell the disciples that he was alive. In a culture where women's testimony was worthless because she was worthless, Jesus elevated the value of women beyond anything the world had seen. As a result of Jesus Christ and his teachings, women in much of the world today, especially in the West, enjoy more privileges and rights than any other time in history. It takes only a cursory trip to an Arab nation 
or a third world country to see how the little freedom women have in countries where Christianity has, has had little or no presence. It's simply the best thing that ever happened to women. She's right. Christianity is the best thing that happened to women. And as our culture becomes more and more confused about gender, do not allow our culture to reinterpret history. Jesus chose to give women a prominent place in sharing the greatest news the world has ever heard. And beloved, God does not make mistakes. Listen to verse 8 through 10 again of chapter 24. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Jesus honored women when no one else would. And it's just like our God to give the greatest testimony to discredible witnesses. And then how did these witnesses, these discredible witnesses that God wanted to highlight, how did the disciples respond? The fourth point, the rejection of the disciples, the rejection of the disciples. The women came back and they reported to the disciples what they had seen. You know, everyone was trying to figure out what was happening. We learned from John's account that, that Mary thought that Jesus' body was stolen. You know, she asked the gardener, are you the gardener? Where have you taken the Lord's body? And even though Jesus told them beforehand what was going to happen, the disciples are slow to believe. Luke 24, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The apostles did not trust the testimony of these women. They thought they were making it up. They thought it was, was tomfoolery. They thought it was a lie, an idle tale. And although the text says the apostles did not believe the women, it was actually they didn't believe Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ told them on repeated occasions that he was going to rise. They didn't pay careful attention to the words of Christ as they remembered the words they dismissed them. Now Luke does not paint the apostles, the disciples, in a very good light. Do, does he? <laughs> you know, they, they should have gotten this. But they're, 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 they just don't. If this was a lie, why would the apostles describe themselves so poorly? <laughs> and why would they use women as the primary witnesses? This does not make any sense unless it's true. And yet I wonder how many of you are like these apostles. You may have heard the good news of the death of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you are slow to believe. Now, I know there's people who go to church every single Sunday. They sit through sermons, they hear things, but they don't really believe what the Bible says. I mean, are you slow to believe? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? You know, the, the popular opinion of our culture is not one that's popular to the resurrection or to Christianity. Richard Dawkins has said faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. 
Now, the, the apostles seem to have heard and evaluated the evidence from the women, and they found it wanting. They were there. They saw Jesus Christ die. They did not believe that he was going to raise from the dead because that was a complete unknown concept to them. It seems that they examined the evidence and they did not believe. They didn't believe because the evidence at this time was not compelling. That's why we have to continue to read the rest of the account and see what happened to these apostles who were slow to believe after examining the evidence what happened to them. The last point, the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead. So the the disciples were sitting there. These women came back. They were debating among themselves what is going on. It seems like a fairy tale. This can't really be true. And yet Peter, verse 12, he stood up. He rose and he ran to the temple. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter came to the tomb and he looked inside and he did not see Jesus. And the text says he marveled. Now, we don't know what that marveled means, if he believed at that particular moment, but he knew something was going on. Something was happening. You know, I'm sure that his heart was maybe starting to be filled with hope. I mean, could this really be true? Could Christ actually be alive? Could Jesus really and truly be the resurrection and the life? His mind was filled with questions as he stared into that empty tomb. And he had to ask, what does the empty tomb mean? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture what that empty tomb symbolizes. Romans Chapter 1, verse 4, tells this about, tells us this what it means. That the Son was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. See, the early church does not make any sense unless the resurrection is true. How do you have people going from deniers of Christ, afraid, to willing to die for Christ? The church makes no sense unless there is a resurrection. So if you are leaning more skeptical, examine the evidence and explain to me how did the early church come about if there was not resurrection. It does not make any sense. Peter went from denying Christ to willingly dying for Christ. Why? He believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He believed and he was changed. He was born again to a living hope. The hope of that future glory transformed Peter's life. I mean, has that resurrection changed you? I mean, we hear it week in and week out, but has that resurrection changed you? It's a simple question. Have you placed all your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I mean, if you truly believe that God rose Jesus Christ from the dead, it will change how you live. It will change how you spend your money. It will change how you spend your time. It'll change whether or not you forgive your spouse. How It will change how we do everything. Because the resurrection gives us power that changes us when we trust in Christ. 
Tim Keller shares a story of this power, and I'll close with this. Uh, he tells of a, sto- a minister who was in Italy, and there saw, he saw a grave of a man who had died centuries before, who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but a little afraid of it too. So the man had a, a huge stone slab, put it over his grave, so he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there was a resurrection of the dead. He had insignias all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I do not believe in it. You know, his rejection of the resurrection did not change the facts. His belief of truth could not change that which was true. He tried to deny the resurrection with that huge stone slab over his grave, just like Pilate and the Romans did, with that huge stone they placed in front of the tomb. And yet, as Keller continues, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split that tab in two. It was now a tall, towering oak tree. The minister looked at it and said, if an acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can an acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? The minute you decide to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. The the Think of the things you think are immovable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts, those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know Christ and the more you grow in the power of the resurrection. Beloved, Peter looked into the tomb and marveled and marveled at God's resurrection. He would spend the rest of his life testifying to the power of the resurrection. And I pray you and I would do the same. This Easter, I urge you to receive the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and experience his power to break the immovable immovable slabs in your life. I pray that you would be like Paul, who was willing to give his life to know him and the power of his resurrection, that he may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Beloved, receive Christ and his resurrection of power. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us believe. Help us believe that Jesus Christ has risen. Help us believe in the resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, declaring him the Son of God. And Father, I pray that you would give your people hope, give your people faith, that because we believe in Christ's death, we will share in his resurrection. So God, I pray for your people. I pray for the people that I love. I pray for my own heart. Help us receive the truth of the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.